I want to talk to you today about the waiting Savior, the waiting Savior. My text is probably a familiar verse of Scripture for many of you. It's found in Revelations chapter 3 and verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And I'm reading that from the old King James, the 1611, and I'll share with you why a little bit later in the message today. But I, I want to, first of all, just kind of uh, lay a foundation by giving you a little bit about the introduction of the book of Revelations. You know, Revelations really falls into three uh, major points or categories or divisions, however you want to say it. Uh, it talks about, first of all, the things that have been. Jesus reminds us of who he is, who he was, what he did. And then it talks about the things that are. first three chapters deal with churches that were in existence right then at the time that it was written. But then from chapter 4 forward in the book of Revelations, it's a prophetic book. It's talking about things to come, things that shall be, things that are future tense. In the first few chapters, in fact, if, if you begin in verse uh, uh, 4 of chapter 1, uh, let, let me just read it to you. In uh, Revelations chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth." John is given a, a message for seven churches that actually existed at that time. Uh, those churches were Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos, Thyatira, um, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, you might wonder, uh, preacher, what has that got to, uh, to do with us today? And I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Because most Bible scholars and those who have studied the Word for many years agree, and we have enough history behind us now to see that they were true from the beginning with this assumption that, that each of these letters, though they were written to specific churches that were in existence at that time, those seven churches actually represented aspects of different church ages all the way down to the end of time. And, and so, as I said, now there's plenty of history. You can look back and you can see the church at Ephesus. That was the church that was in existence right then. It had the characteristics. That particular church in Asia Minor had the characteristics of the whole church world at that particular time. Then as you start moving on through and you go to Smyrna, that later on there was a whole age, a whole era of time when the church fit into that particular church age. And, and and right on down to Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and so on. Um, so they all represent church ages. And so when you study those seven letters and study history, you see uh, how, how it fits in. It's almost like a puzzle being put together. However, what you realize is that we have already moved through six of those church ages and we're in the seventh church age, 
And I propose to you this morning that we are coming to the end of this seventh and final church age. So the message this morning in the book of Revelations, especially in chapter 3, is for us. And he's writing not only to the church generally, but he also writes a message to individuals in the church. And that's verse 20 that I read to you uh, for my text this morning. So this message is for us right out of the scripture. We are identified here as the church that's going to see the soon return of Jesus Christ. So make sure your neighbor gets this. Turn and tell him, so this message is for you today. Amen. Um, let's look at chapter 3 and back up to the beginning of this message for the church of Laodicea. The Laodicean age. The final church age. The church age that will see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning of verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. How many of you understand today that God knows what's going on? God knows. He said, I know your works. He's looking at the church today. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Whoa. What a message to the church in general in the last days before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the church age that, according to John's prophecy here, this is the church age that made God sick. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm just sick of this church age. I, w I wish you were cold or hot. I, I wish you'd make up your mind. I wish you'd quit straddling the fence. I wish you'd get in or out. And he said, uh, by the way, if you're going to straddle the fence, if you're going to dabble in the world, dabble in the church all at the same time, if you're going to love me a little bit and love the world a little bit too and expect me to be your Lord and Savior, just understand this. When I come to gather my bride, when I come to get the church, I'm going to get the people that are on fire for God. And all these lukewarm folks, I'm going to vomit you out. That's a... That, that is a description of what he's going to do. He's just going to spew them right on out into the tribulation. In other words, you're going you're gonna to stay right where you are when Jesus comes, and you're going to experience the wrath that's coming on this earth because of the sinfulness of this world. You see, with, with Jesus, we're, we're reaching a point. Folks, we're, we're at the point where we've got to quit playing around. We got to make up our mind. Jesus is either Lord of all or Jesus is not Lord at all. It's just that simple. Jesus didn't die on the cross and suffer everything that he suffered at Calvary so we can go through church like a cafeteria line and take our Bible and say, well, I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I don't want that. That's too hard. And I don't want that. No, 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 no. That's not what it is. You're either in or you're not. Amen? Either in or out. It's, time, it's decision time. 
It's time to make up our minds. And the Lord is waiting for us to make up our minds. Here's what he said in verses 17 to 19. Because you say, he's talking to the church again, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Here is the message that the Lord wants brought to this church age. Repent. Jesus came preaching repentance. There's not enough of that preached today, I'm sorry to say, in the church world in general. In fact, if you watch a lot of uh, TV church, um, you, you get the idea that we've, we've almost reached a place today where God is just so good and so wonderful and so kind and so loving that we can just live any old way that we want to and it's not going to bother God at all. That is a lie straight out of the pit of hell. God hates sin. Let me say that again. God hates sin. And I'm going to say it one more time. God hates sin. He always has and he always will. That will never change. And the reason God hates sin is because it's a destructive force. If God were to allow sin into heaven, heaven would become just like the fallen earth. So there's not going to be any sin there. It's, it's, it's just not going to be there. Amen? So he said, if you've got a sin problem, it's time to repent. He calls on the church to repent, 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 repent. It's what Jesus came preaching. Repent, repent. And so it's time for the church to repent. We need to get on our face before God and repent of any sin that we may have in our lives and get victory over it and get ourselves ready for the wonderful coming of the Lord. And I know some people may say, well, I'm not going to be all up that upset about it. There's going to be people saved during the tribulation. Yeah. Let me tell you something. If you can't live for the Lord in America in 2018, you're not going to be able to live for the Lord in the tribulation period. You, you, you better read the, the, the book of Revelations again if you think you're going to make it then. You, you haven't seen anything like the destruction that's coming on this earth when God pours out his wrath upon sin and all of the sinfulness of mankind in, in the great tribulation. No, 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 no. You, you, you better get right with God now if you're looking for a way out. And I'm looking for a way out. I don't plan to be here during the tribulation period because God doesn't want him. He hasn't, he hasn't ordained that his children should live under the wrath of God. That's not where we're supposed to be anyway. Amen? So let's take care of it today. So let me get to my text. My text starts out with this word, Behold! Now, just a cursory reading of that. I read the, uh, the text a while ago. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's not the way that it should be expressed at all. That word behold there means give rapt attention to. And in fact, it has the same kind of emphasis that you would use if your child was about to run out in front of an oncoming car, run out in the street in front of a car. You'd scream, stop! 
Look out. And that's the way this is. Jesus says, behold. He's trying to get your attention. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, does he have your attention? <laughs> I want your attention here because I want you to hear what Jesus has to say. Now he's speaking to individuals in the Laodicean church age. That's you and me. He says, behold. And I'm going to give you four things about the waiting Savior. The first one I'll take a, a, a pretty good little time on, and I'll go through the, the last three rather rapidly. But the first one, and by the way, I marvel at this one. I absolutely marvel at this one. The, the first one is the patience of the waiting Savior. I marvel at the patience of the waiting Savior. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Isn't that, isn't that kind of unusual? If I were to come to your house and ring your doorbell or knock on your door, if you had one of those intercom systems where you could talk to me at the door, or if you just hollered at me through the door, and, and wouldn't it sound a little strange if I said something like this? You said, who's there? And I said, this is Rich Bowen standing at your door. Sounds a little strange, doesn't it? But that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door. That, by the way, implies that he's been there for a while. You know, you say to somebody, are you just going to stand there? What, why, why are you, how long are you going to stand there? Here's the, here's the fact. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Remember the first time that he dealt with your heart? You remember the first time you felt like you needed to pray? Well, he's been standing there ever since. He hasn't left. He's still standing at your heart's door. He's still knocking at your heart's door. He's still, I marvel at the patience of the waiting Savior. I, it, it, just, it just blows my mind. When I get to thinking about the fact that God gave his only begotten son, and his only begotten son took that horrific beating in Pilate's judgment hall, and then he took that horrendous crucifixion on Calvary with spikes through his hands and through his feet, and a spear in his side, a crown of thorns on his head. And I think of all of that. And I think of, I think of, of, of us rejecting that or leaving him just standing there. You better be glad I'm not God. <laughs> Anybody glad I'm not God? I'm glad you're not God either. <laughs> we're all glad that we're not God. Because here, here's, here's what I would probably do. If I were God and, and, and I saw that Jesus had been standing there at your heart's door knocking all, these, all this time and you hadn't let him in, I'd probably just move on to somebody else. I'd just let you go on to hell. I'd just, I'd just, I'd just tell you, look, there are millions of people in the world that hadn't heard the gospel yet. I, I'm just going to go on to somebody else. Now, you, 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 uh, I just don't have the patience to fool with you. I marvel at the patience of the Son of God. He is still waiting at your heart's door, still knocking at your heart's door, still waiting 
to get into your heart. Maybe for the the very first time, maybe you've never received the Lord as your Savior. Or maybe there's areas of your life that you haven't allowed him into yet. Or maybe there's other reasons that he's wanted to come into your heart. Maybe he's wanted to deal with you about some things and, and show you his will or whatever. But you've rejected that. I marvel at the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there was a man with kind of an unusual name for us today. His name was Methuselah. Methuselah lived to be older than anybody that's ever lived in recorded history. He lived to be 969 years old. Wow, that's an old man, wouldn't you say? Uh, (laughs) He lived. Now, you, you say, boy, he must have had good genes. No, that's not why he lived to be 969. You may say, well, he just, boy, he just had a good diet. He ate right and exercised and was healthy. No, that's not why he lived so long. Uh, let, let, let me refer you to somebody else in his family line. His name was Enoch. Enoch, it, in Jude vor, verses 14 and 15, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them that of the, all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that they which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch came along. And he preached to that generation. He told me, he said, you better repent. The judgment of God's coming. If you, if you don't repent, I'm here to tell you the judgment of God is coming. Enoch preached. Then, then, then Methuselah preached that, that, that they better get right with God. They better repent. Lamech preached that they, all of these are family lines. I'm going through generations here. And then Noah preached. Noah preached for oh, about 120 years. He kept telling everybody around, you better get ready because God is tired of the sin of mankind. The Bible said that the sins of man had reached a point that the very thoughts and the imaginations of their heart was evil continually. In other words, that's all they thought about was doing something evil. They had just given themselves to sin. I told you earlier, God hates sin. God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy the world because of sin. But he gave them a chance over and over and over. Here's all these people preaching, preaching, generation after generation. Now, let me get back to Methuselah. Methuselah's name means when he is dead, it shall be sent. God let Methuselah live a hundred years, and he didn't send his judgment because of his mercy and his goodness. He lived 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, 7, 8, 900, 969 years, longer than any man had ever lived. But finally, God said, that's it. Methuselah died. And when he did, the heavens opened and the rains came and God destroyed this earth with a flood. We refer to it as Noah's flood. Noah had built an ark. God called Noah and his family into the ark, called the animals into the ark, opened up and wiped mankind from the face of the earth because of their sin. I want to tell you again, folks, this morning, God hates sin. But here's the amazing thing. As much as God hates sin, God loves you. God loves you as much as he hates sin. 
I'm going to say it again. As much as God hates sin, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And so God is patient. And I marvel at the patience of Almighty God. I, I want to tell you something, folks. God's getting fed up with the sins of this world. And, and, and God has told us in his word that he's going to do something about it. But the Lord continues to give us opportunity. That's why we're still alive this morning. That's why Jesus hasn't come yet. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. Say that word, long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. What did Jesus say to the church at Laodicea? Repent. He wants all of us to come to repentance. Why does he want us to repent? So that he can wash away our sins and, and take us into his presence to live forever and ever and ever. That's what God desires to do for us. The apostle Peter said he's long-suffering. That word long-suffering means extraordinarily patient. Again, I marvel at the patience of the waiting Savior. He's patient. He waited, and he's waited, and he's waited, and he's waited. Been waiting now over 2,000 years since his son died at Calvary. He's still waiting for you today. Oh, glory to God. But wait, wait a minute. Something's going to happen one of these days. Let's read on from 2 Peter chapter 3. After verse 9, this is what he says. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up God's not going to destroy the earth this time with water like he did with Noah's flood but he is going to destroy this world with fire fire is coming and planet earth is going to melt you say, preach, I don't believe that. Well, you don't have to believe it. Let me tell you something that might surprise you about this planet that we're living in. We're living in a planet that's 25,000 miles in circumference, 25,000 miles around the earth. At the thickest place of the crust, and I hope that's in Georgia, South Carolina, wherever that is, it's eight miles at its thickest point. And it's three miles at its thinnest point. We're talking about 25,000 miles, this planet, in circumference. And it's only three miles thick. We've seen what's in the belly of the earth as it's belched through volcanoes recently in Hawaii and other places. It's full of molten fire. That's what the, we're on a planet. We're, listen, it's like we're standing on an eggshell in comparison. The thickness of an eggshell compared to the thickness of the crust of the earth with the, with, with the inside is a very good comparison. We're, we're, we're standing on, a, on an eggshell. That's right. Nope. I don't want to live in them skyscrapers. I don't want to put too much weight on the crust of the earth. <laughs> Just give me a single house, amen. Single story. But listen, listen, the day is coming 
when God is going to get fed up with the sins of this earth and he's going to purge this earth of all of that, and he's going to do it this time with fire. And so I, I'm amazed at the patience. God doesn't want you to perish. God doesn't want you to go to hell. You don't hear hell preached about very much anymore, do you? You would think that God is so loving and so kind and so wonderful that he's just going to love us all in. No, no, no. Again, I tell you, if he does that, we'll be taking our sins right into heaven with us and we'd destroy the whole place. God's not going to do that. If you're planning on going to heaven, you're going to have to get right with God. If you're planning on going to heaven, you're going to have to repent of your sins so that the blood of Jesus can wash them away. And that's what your heavenly father. I'm not trying to tell you that God isn't love. He is. God is love. But God is also just. And God is also holy. Remember, remember in heaven, the seraphims that are flying around the throne of God and that are, that are hovering over the throne of God, you know what they're saying? They're, <laughs> if, if you... If you listen to a lot of the Laodicean church today, you would think that the seraphims are, are uh, over the throne of God and they're saying, love, love, love. It's not what they're saying. Or you might think that they're, they're saying, grace, grace, grace. They're not saying grace. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in love. And I believe that God is love. And I believe in grace, and I thank God for grace. The only reason I'm up here this morning is because of the grace of God. I wouldn't be here without his grace, and neither would you. Amen. I thank God for his grace, and I believe in his grace, and I believe in the message of grace, and I believe we ought to preach the message of grace. But don't get the idea that the grace of God is going to give you a blanket check to live any way you want to. And he'll just take you on to heaven. That's not grace. Grace actually empowers us to live above sin. Amen. Gives us the strength. We, we're under a better covenant than the old covenant. So, so what, are, what, are they, what, are the, what are the angels saying? You listen to some ministries today and you would think that the, the seraphims are over the throne saying, money, money, money. No, 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 no. You know what they're saying? They're saying, holy, holy, holy. Can I tell you that the number one most outstanding attribute and characteristic of Almighty God is holiness? And so the, the seraphim are crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come, holy, 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 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, holy, 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 holy. And can I tell you this morning, if you and I get there, we're going to have to be holy. Now, I know that's impossible in our own strength. But when the blood of Jesus washes our sins away, he makes us just like we'd never sinned, and we're holy. Glory to God. The blood of Jesus makes us to where God can invite us into his presence and has a just reason to do so. 
and it won't contaminate his city. And so I thank God that he's been patient enough to give us time, waited until I got in, waiting for you to get in. Praise God. Many of you, if not most of you, perhaps nearly all of you this morning, I'll tell you what I, what I would love to, if, if, if the trumpet of God should sound and the rapture should take place before I finish this sermon this morning, I hope and pray that this building is empty. Amen? Empty. I don't want anybody to be left behind. I want us all to go up together. Amen? I want us all to go. Glory, glory to God. Now, let, let me give you these other three very quickly. The second thing about the waiting Savior that I want you to notice is the pleading of the waiting Savior. Let me go back to my text. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And knock. And knock. And knock. All oh, the pleading of the waiting Savior pleading for you to let him in he said behold i stand at the door and i'm knocking still knocking still knocking he's been speaking to you a long time you remember that car wreck you said oh god if you'll just save me if you'll just if you'll just let me live if you'll just get me out of this i'll serve you you remember that you remember that sickness you had when you thought you were going to die and you said, oh, God, if you'll just spare my life, just spare my life a little while, I'll, I'll serve you. He was knocking. And then later on, you forgot about it. Or maybe it was some other crisis. You thought you were going to lose your business or you thought you were going to lose your home. You're going to lose your family. You, you're going to lose. You, and, and you said, oh, Lord, if you'll just, that was him knocking. And can I tell you this morning, he's still knocking. He's still knocking. He's still pleading for you. He's begging for you to just open the door and let him come in. Third thing. I love this one. I love this one. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The patience of the waiting Savior. I stand at the door and knock. The pleading of the waiting Savior. And I love this part. This is the privilege of the one to whom the Savior is knocking. You have the marvelous privilege and opportunity. Do you realize how wonderful this opportunity is today? You have an opportunity to open the door of your heart and let the Lord Jesus come in. Oh, glory to God. The privilege that you have. If anybody hears his voice and opens the door, just opens the door, opens the door. If anybody, anybody, anybody. Did you know that includes everybody in this building this morning? Oh, you say, but preacher, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I'm coming from. Doesn't matter. He said, if anybody will open the door. Anybody, anybody, anybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, that includes you. That's you. That's me. That's all of us. He, he didn't say if, if, uh, if anyone, um, if anyone, um, if anyone except an alcoholic opens the door, I'll come in. No, no, no. He just said anyone. He, he didn't say if anybody except maybe a, maybe a drug addict, I'll come in. No, he just said anybody. If you'll open the door. He, did, he didn't say if, if anybody except those who've lived immoral, 
will open the door. No, no, no. He said, if anybody, if anybody, anyone, any man, any woman, any boy, any girl, glory to God. That includes the whole bunch of us this morning, church. If anyone, anyone will open the door, glory to God. Hallelujah. Which brings me to my fourth and final point. The waiting Savior makes you a promise. Here's the promise of the waiting Savior. If anyone will open the door, what will he do? He said, I'll come in. Come in. It's that simple. We try to make it so hard. If, if, if anybody will just pray hard enough, I'll come in. That's not what he said. If anybody will fast enough, I'll come in. Now, if anybody will live perfect for a week or two, I'll come in. No, he said, if anybody just open the door, I will come in. I will come in. That's the promise of the waiting Savior. If you'll open the door, he will come in. That's his promise. Glory to God. You can't beat that. You, you can't improve on that. You, you just, if you'll open the door, he will come in. You do your part, he'll do his part. Your part's open the door, his part's come in. Now, I told you, I, I would I'd tell you earlier why I like the old King James uh, uh, 1611 translation of this verse better than the more modern translations. Because he said, when I come in, I will sup with you and you can sup with me. Now, that term sup is something we don't use much anymore. We've kind of become more sophisticated as Americans. We used to eat supper. We don't eat supper anymore. We eat breakfast, and we have lunch, and then we have dinner. We've come a long way, haven't we? We used to eat breakfast, we eat dinner, and we eat supper. That's because a few generations ago, we were still an agrarian society. And when you got up at the crack of day and you worked hard for a couple hours and you came in after milking cows and gathering the eggs, you got a breakfast. I mean breakfast. And then you went back out into the fields and you worked hard. When you come in at noon, you didn't get a, a sandwich and a bag of chips. You ate dinner. Man, you had, you had something that stick to your ribs because you were fixing to go back out there and work until dark. When you got done at dark and you came in, you put all the livestock up and you'd finished working the fields and hoeing the cotton and whatever else it was you was growing, you came in, you ate supper. Man, supper. Now, Sup, when Jesus said, if you'll open the door, I'll come in and sup with you. Sup has the same relationship to supper that dine has to dinner. If you invite somebody to dine with you, you're inviting them over for dinner. Come and dine with me. Uh, that you have dinner. Well, when he says come and sup, he said we'll have supper. Here's, here's why I say, folks, that we are this message is for those of us who are living right at the end of this church age, right before the coming of the Lord Jesus. Jesus did not say, if you will open the door, I'll come in and have breakfast with you. That, that part of the day is already gone. 
He didn't say, if you'll open the door, I'll come in and have dinner with you. That part of the day has already gone. Jesus said, if you'll open the door, I'll come in and I'll have supper with you. In other words, I'll fellowship with you just like family because that's what you will become when you open the door. When you open the door to Jesus, you become an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He washes away your sins, writes your name on the Lamb's book of life, makes you a part of the family of God. God becomes your heavenly Father. Jesus becomes your elder brother. The Holy Spirit comes to reside in you, give you victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil, prepare you to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes, he'll make up his jewels and we'll be part of that number oh glory to God give him praise this morning he's worthy glory to God stand with me if you will please I want the prayer team to come I know we've got a lot of people out today there's about 50 with the the ladies encounter but I'm going to give you a chance to pray this morning. And this is very, this, this message, Revelations 3.20 is to the individuals in the Laodicean church. So this is very personal today. This is between you and God. This has nothing to do with joining this church. This has nothing to do with, with uh, religion. This has everything to do with your eternal salvation, your personal experience with the Lord. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me for a few moments. And I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak to every heart and every life here this morning. If there are people today under the sound of my voice that are straddling the fence, if there are people today who just have enough religion to keep them from feeling too guilty, and if they just kind of come in and tip their hat to you on Sunday, but they live in the world all week, and worse than that, the world lives in them, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will convict them right now. Help us to identify who we are. Lord, you're coming soon. We don't want to be left behind. We, we don't want you to spew us out of your mouth. You, we don't want to be left behind. We want to be ready. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will draw every person here that's not ready to meet you to prayer in these next few moments. Oh, do your work, oh God. You know what we don't know and what we can't know. What we don't need to know, it's between them and you. But Lord, I know the day that you're waiting patiently, standing at the door, knocking. There are people here today that you are knocking at their door. And they've never opened that door to let you in. There are others that, that have gone cold and indifferent, and they, they need to open the door and let you come back in and rekindle the fires that they once experienced. There are people here today that you've been knocking at their heart's door because you have a destiny for their lives. You have a, you have a will that they have not been open to. 
they, 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 they know you as the Savior that's preached at church, but they don't know you as their Lord. They've never surrendered their lives completely, every part of their life to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, draw them now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Look at me for just a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. In fact, the altar's open. If you want to start moving this way, you feel free to do so. A number of years ago, the artist Hunt, a very famous artist, a very great artist, a world-renowned artist, painted a picture, and perhaps you've seen a replica of it somewhere. It's of Jesus standing at the door. Any of you seen that picture? By the artist hunt? Yes, numbers of you have. You may have it in your own home. When he painted that picture before he displayed it and showed it to the world, he called together a group of his artist friends who really knew art, professional artists, and he asked them to critique it before, before he debuted it and give him any suggestions how he might improve it. One of his artist friends said, Mr. Hunt, I believe that's the greatest painting you've ever done. That's a masterpiece without question. And there was one comment after the other, and all of them were very complimentary. And finally, one guy raised his hand. He said, Mr. Hunt, one small detail I noticed that you missed. There's no doorknob on that door. And the artist Hunt said, you don't understand what I'm trying to betray here, portray he said, there is no doorknob on the outside of that door. It only opens from the inside. The doorknob's on the inside. That picture is of Jesus, Revelation 3.20, standing at our heart's door knocking. I want to tell you something this morning. Jesus is not going to barge his way in. In fact, there's no doorknob there. If there was... If there was, all of us that love you, your friends and loved ones that love you, we'd grab that doorknob and open it wide and say, Jesus, get on in there. But we can't do that. We can't force salvation on you. We, we, can't, we, can't, we can't do it. The, the doorknob's on the inside. The only way your heart's door will ever open is for you to open it. But I want to remind you again, if you'll just open your heart this morning, Jesus will come in. And you'll experience a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. You'll experience a new level of life. You'll become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things will pass away, and behold, all things will become new. And the Lord will make you one of his children. Hallelujah. Whatever you're struggling with today, now the altar's open. I'm fixing to move out of the way and let you pray. But I, I, want, you, I want you to come respond. If the Holy Spirit, if there's a want to in your heart, if there's something inside of you this morning that says, I should pray before I leave, I want you to make your way from the back to the front, from the balcony, wherever you are. If that's you, if that's you, if you've never opened your heart to God, or maybe you're just not sure that your standing with God is where it ought to be this morning, let's make sure before we leave here. Will you do that? We do it. The altar's open. Pastor Steve's going to sing, and I invite you to come and pray. God bless you.